You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. You want to reach us? Editor at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spangle. I am joined by uh, Matt Whitliff. Matt, Hello. how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, nice to see you again. We just recorded a. Uh, we freaked Dakota Davis out. Yeah. Dakota from the Boss Hog of Liberty is here. How are Dude. you? I'm doing really good, Chris. How are you? Good. Oh well, that was abrupt. Oh uh, man, I'll never, I'll never be good at that. I don't. I was never good at it at WXNT. I won't be good at it now. <clears throat> so. Matt showed up about an hour and a half before Dakota, and we recorded a bonus episode called Defined. And basically what we're doing is we're doing a series uh, basically defining politics. And so part of the issue is that I feel that we don't work off of the same vocabulary, so sometimes we're arguing on Facebook or in person or in the media, things with different definitions, and so what I want to do is go through and define a lot of different things. And so we're working on the definition of libertarianism and how it came about and what is our, our intellectual heritage. And then we're going to do conservatives and progressives. And we may eventually release that to the public. But for now, we're just doing kind of a rough draft of the series in the bonus uh, portion of the show. So if you're a $5 a month subscriber on Patreon or above then you can have access to that. Today, you go and sign Today. up, 
You can get it today uh, because it's already in there, and you can hear an hour-long discussion between Matt and I talking about the uh, intellectual heritage of the uh, of libertarian thought, and that is uh, exclusive only to our Patreon subscribers. You don't want to miss it. And then, in in addition to that, if you're a five dollar a month subscriber, you get we we recorded ten minutes of show before we started, so you get the bonus content there. You get no commercials. You get CD quality audio, stereo, 128 mm. kilobits per second. It sounds so good, and uh, not like if you're on the if you're on the main feed. That's ugh, 96 or oh 64. Gross. Oh, 64 when I get real long winded and we do a three hour show. But uh, <laughs> I try to make it high quality for you people. Um, you know, and if you're at ten dollars a month, then you get access to our private Facebook group where we like to make fun of the people on the other Facebook group that you can find at WeLoveTrans dot com. <laughs> you can watch uh, the live stream of the show. Uh, you can participate in the chat uh, when we do the live show. Twenty five dollars a month, you get a poster, which I desperately need to mail to some of you. I I sincerely apologize. I have had them in my trunk for about two weeks now, and I just have not gone yet to mail those out. But they are coming. I promise. And then $100 a month, you get exclusive access to me. You get to come on the show. You get to be a, a part of it. And we've uh, got four of those folks, Brandon Luke, Craig DaCosta, Jason Doolittle, and Christy Avery. Thank you for being uh, – thank you for that level of support. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And uh, we're going to have Jason on the show soon. So very excited to have him fly. He's flying in from Texas. Oh, wow. Awesome. And so he's going to spend a couple days with us. So the, very exciting for that. Those are the class announcements. Other than uh, getting the show notes, if you want links, you know, tomorrow night we're going to do an episode about the immigration stuff, and I'm going to have like a hundred links, and I'll send that to your email box if you sign up at wearelibertarians.com. You'll get uh, those in your email box every show. Dakota, um, I don't know if you heard the end of the last show, but I was uh, just praising Boss Hog of Liberty. Uh, on, your, yeah, on the last show, your podcast. Yeah. I was just telling everybody what a great podcast you had. I did. I did listen to that. I was. Uh, I was very pleased. Is there anything good. you'd like to say to me? <laughs> Thank you very. Thank much. Thank you. I, I appreciate, appreciate that. Yes. Uh, no. Please, please add dear leader at the end of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Boss Hog of Liberty is a great show. Here's the reason why I praised it. If you didn't did not hear it, uh, what Boss Hog of Liberty has done is they've they've basically created the media outlet for their hometown, yep. their home county, and that is like the go-to for information about local politics, culture, history, just yeah, doing a podcast. I, we have a variety of people on. It's not just politics or any kind of policy per se, but it's it's all about um just localities. Like Henry County is where yeah. we're where we're in. I live in Newcastle, Indiana in Henry County. Which is the main uh, the main city in there, right? And uh, it's we we started out it was strictly political, and then we started kind of branching off into other areas, and it it ended up being a, a pretty good show. I, people like the different things that we do. Uh, obviously, people stick around for the politics of the county, and uh, we have I mean we have listeners that are all over the country because it might focus on our community and our and our county, but it. We realize that everybody in the country has got a county like ours, and they yeah. are all experiencing similar issues. Yeah, so yep. even if you don't live in the county, check it out. It's a great show, and uh, we want to eventually roll this model out to other counties. It's and, a great model. And help you set up your podcast so you become – I think you've really shown your community that libertarians can lead. They aren't weird. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that yeah. they're not just a bunch of pot smoking creeps. Like, yeah. I think you should just promise to send Dakota Davis to whatever county. Well, he's very handsome. You know, <laughs> that wants to have him. He's, he's the, he's the. My own county doesn't want me. <laughs> right. No no. <laughs> no, 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 no. They don't want you by association. They're trying to get rid of Jeremiah. They're trying to get rid of the boss hog. <laughs> is that what, yeah. <laughs> how funny is it, Jer- how funny is it, Dakota, that, uh, I jokingly call him the boss hog of liberty because he's bossy, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and then it ends up becoming a, a revered podcast in Henry yeah. County. What yeah, a great it, troll! It is. It's the greatest troll that I've ever heard of. <laughs> I've ever experienced in my lifetime. It's it's hilarious, if and you, I keep thinking like, should we change this to something like local liberty or something like that? Like, come up with a name that makes more sense to people, and I'm like, I just can't do that. You can't. That's, it's hilarious. You, it's it's because people hear that and go, what? Yeah, like it's. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Uh, he said, uh, "I want to do a podcast." I said, "I will do. I will give you a podcast, but you have to take this name." And he was very. Go back and listen to the beginning of episode one. He was not accepting. He was his not. Fate. Yeah, enough. actually, let's not go back and listen to episode one. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I need you if you want to help troll Jeremiah. All I need you to do is go to Jeremiah Morrill's Facebook page. And comment, what is your opinion on wind farms? And the doughboy. <laughs> or where do you think we should move the doughboy? Uh, just all you need to know is what is your opinion on wind farms? And that, that trust me, you will irritate him enough to at least, I'll get at least two angry messages from him. But At least two. And he will probably get more messages from, from people because he's running for county council. Right. So he's probably going to get more people who are possible constituents that are, are legitimately curious about the wind farms and moving the doughboy. <laughs> so maybe not the wind farms, but the doughboy. <laughs> the doughboy to me, like this statue in Henry County that <laughs> is being moved from one section of the park that's back in a secluded wooded area to a place of prominence with its own museum. And the boomers in this town have lost their mind. Like, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they they've gone to the... The uh, Memorial Park and Henry County Park Board meetings and uh, legitimately protested, um, brought in signs that said, hashtag, don't move the dough boy, hashtag, we the people, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, yeah, it's a really big deal. But it's all sensationalized because of a generational thing, because right. these people have relatives who might have actually been doughboys. Right. So they, they don't know for sure, but they might have been doughboys. Right. So they're I mean, very motivated. <laughs> yeah. What about my favorite is what about the war mothers? Yeah. And I just want to yeah, go that's my favorite too. How many women who were born in eighteen forty three are still alive? And they never can answer that question. Well there's one uh, there's one remaining war mother. From who, World War One. Well <laughs> I don't know if she's from World War One, but she's <laughs> she's quite elderly. Um and she is She's not even from the state. She's like, and she she came down to Henry County uh, to protest at one of the meetings. The wife, of, the the mother of some Vietnam veteran, and she's you know probably yeah. so not World War One. I. I have mixed feelings about the doughboy because I can see it from both sides. Oh, but you I will sit and <laughs> come on. But I will say. That, I, mean, I need an answer from you. I'm disappointed in you. You want because, an answer? I yeah, ga- I've given he, this answer so many times, Chris. No, no, no. Let me explain to you how this works. Okay? I, I constantly <laughs> am having to explain to Jeremiah and Dakota how broadcasting works. Yeah. You have to take... It really is. You, yeah. You have to take a, a, a hard line and be confident in that opinion and create controversy. And then people react to that controversy with their own opinions and discussion ensues, and you get attention that way. But these two, you go on and you listen to the, their Doughboy podcast, and you're like, 
I don't know. I guess I could see it from both sides. It's like nobody says <laughs> that's not interesting. People, pe- that's not interesting. I need you to have. I need right now, Dakota Davis. Should we move the Doughboy? Yes or no? Be well, a man. Take a stand. Here's the thing. Oh boy. I oh boy. no no definitive statement has ever started with. Here's the, here's thing. the thing. Here's the thing, though. It's like, would you? Where do you? Where do you work? What right? would What would Jordan Peterson say? Right. Where do you work? Well, right now, I'm a, like that means they yeah. hate their job. Yeah. Well, uh, re- in regards to the Doughboy, okay. obviously one of the main uh, issues surrounding the controversy, it's going to take like thirty thousand dollars to get a new statue, because the the people who do not want this move are are. Pr- Bringing proposals to the park board and saying, "Here, let's get a new statue and put it in front of your new museum." Two doughboys. Yeah, that was one hey. of the proposals. Was uh, let's buy a separate doughboy, thirty thousand dollars. And in our county council races, it has become an issue of, would you vote on funding a new doughboy, thirty thousand dollars, which is preposterous. I mean, it's right. you know that's that's a, the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But I can see. If I'm using a logical side mm-hmm, of me, mm-hmm. I I say it's a long way to get to be, a yes or no. There. If might. I if I'm using my the logical side of myself, then I say then yes, move the doughboy because it could possibly attract people to the county and it could be a very good thing. But I can I can understand the emotions that surround it. You going to in see regards. a doughboy? You, you driving in the hour to go see the doughboy, Matt? <laughs> Not Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm more attracted to your Buffalo Wild Wings than I am your doughboy, to be honest. Uh-huh. I mean, not once that brand new museum is put up. Well, after the museum, we have to have and the museum. And how much are you spending on the museum? I I, I don't know <laughs> the logistics. That We do know that Jeremiah Morrill was on the park board, was the president of the park board whenever that. this whenever this came into uh, came into play. And uh, so apparently it must not have cost too much money. <laughs> I yeah. imagine more than $30,000. I would I would think so as well. But it's all been done, like, the majority, the vast majority of it has been done by, by private donations. Um, a trucking company has done all of the transportation for the statue, getting it refurbished. It's all been paid for pretty much privately. Yeah. No, it's just the most insane boomer bull ass I've ever heard in my life. I just I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I'm mad and, <laughs> and nobody cares anyways because it's a World War One statue. If it were saving Private Ryan and it was a statue of Tom Hanks, then everybody would But see it's like one of it. it's one of the only one left in the United States that's in its original Yeah, because nobody wants them. <laughs> nobody, They've all been moved. No, nobody cares. Like tear it down. It's put it up. Put a Robert E. Lee statue up instead. That's at least. That's at least fun. That's what we talked about last time I was here. <laughs> right, right. Let's not get into it again. Yeah. Like oh, and see that's controversy. People, oh, how dare he say that it doesn't matter? How dare you defy our history? Yeah, you're old. Shut up. No one cares. Put up a statue of a kid that died from Newcastle in in Afghanistan. That, that's something that's. Yeah, that's what I would like to see right. happen. Yeah. I would like to see us uh, create a, a different memorial, obviously for something that uh, that's happened recently. We don't even have a Vietnam memorial in our park. Yeah, well, we should spend a lot of money on that. Uh, that's, yes. that's, that's a state. These uh, statues, I swear, it's we have one in Plainfield where I grew up. They spent like tens of thousands of dollars on a statue devoted to the family, and in one of the parks, it's just like it's like a little. A little Toto dog and a, and a dad and a mom and a couple kids and it's just clearly like white people and a boy and a girl and they're all cute and you know and it's just like 
All right. Well, that's not necessarily the makeup of the average family in Plainfield. The dad statue's <laughs> way over in Swinford Park, not in Friendship <laughs> Gardens, and he's hooking up with a 19-year-old hooker. Uh, that's that's it's more along the lines of the traditional family of Plainfield where I'm from. But uh, uh, so speaking of traditional values, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. As I said, Dakota and I went and saw Jordan Peterson on Friday, and we wanted to break that down a little bit, and then also. Uh, walk you through how do you decide what you believe because I think it's incredibly important. For instance, the immigration debate that's happening right now. It's it's not to me about whether or not you think um, uh, D- Jeremiah is distracting me, uh, trying well, to insert him, he does, and trying to insert himself into the conversation when he was not invited in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Dakota, I was not invited to his uh, to to be in his wedding. Who introduced him and his future wife? Oh, you did. That's right. Was I invited to the bachelor party? Nope. I sure wasn't. Would you? You would not have gone to that. I wouldn't. Party. I wouldn't have had fun. He's I, he's a real friend because he looked at me and he goes, "I don't know if you're actually hurt or not, but I'm going to tell you, you don't want to spend a weekend with drunk people." Oh yeah, you're right. You're a great friend. Yeah, really. <laughs> a, thank you. <laughs> Go back and listen to the post bachelor party episode yes. of Boss Song. Yeah, uh, where I'm just giving. I felt bad because I was like just genuinely teasing him, but. I can see how people are like, oh, what a dick. <laughs> but again, controversy, people. Come on. So, how, like, you look at the immigration debate, and regardless of whether you're pro open borders or closed borders, do you think weaponizing childhood trauma is good or bad? <laughs> That's the question on the table. And do you think that uh, how how do you view? Oh, I'd human like to beings? weigh in and say I'm against that, right? Yeah. And so, so I think everything breaks down to these debates breaks down in, into two camps. It is it is people who are beholden to their political party, their political ideology, some abstraction, or it is people who are putting people first. And how do you get to that place? Because I think you you can look at. It's a very leftist sounding thing. Like I'm putting people first, but that's. I think you could equally say you're putting your own values first. Right? That's I mean, exactly yeah. right. I think if you, you know, when I look at this, I'm first informed by my value of empathy and that government should function in a way that I would want individuals to interact with each other. And so, how do you break that down? How do you decide what you believe? How do you apply that to politics? And that's what we're going to talk about in the second half. Um, but first, uh, so. Jordan Peterson came to town. He's on a book tour, uh, and he like he was sold out in Atlanta. I had a friend who bought scalper tickets to Jordan Peterson, which is hilarious. That's insane. Me. Yeah, scalper tickets to see a man give a seventy-five minute lecture. He literally stood on stage, so it was at the local theater, and I the Muratter the Murat okay. yes, and so it's a twenty-five hundred seat theater. It was packed. It was full. Uh, I D- Dakota and I paid the same price for tickets. You were where? Uh, I was uh, six rows from the stage. I yeah. was two rows back from the door, and uh, <laughs> in row pee pee. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was literally. I, I like thank you for that joke because I basically posted Jordan Peterson's teaching everyone to grow up, and all I can think about is how I'm sitting in pee pee. <laughs> so, actually, so, we have my wife to thank for that one. Yeah. yeah. So, so I walk into the theater and I start looking for my seat. And, you know, you think, okay, I'm going to look for a row PP, and it's going to take me, like, 20 rows, and I'll be up in good seats. And then I walk, I turn the corner, and I look down, and I'm like, 
Oh shit! Uh, now you now you claim that you had some Boss Hog connection to get those tickets. Yeah, there wasn't any Boss Hog connection. Oh, okay, it was just uh, I I happened to uh, follow the mural on uh, Facebook, right? And they were like pre-sale coming, and for Jordan Peterson, Twelve Rules for Life. So I just set an alarm on my phone. I sent you the link, yeah. beforehand. Oh, I put it in the group chat. I, I didn't. Like, I didn't have the sixty bucks that morning, or else I would have gotten it. But so I just got it when I got paid, and then I got sat in the back. <laughs> and listen, people don't know how to act in public anymore. Mm-mm. All right, they don't. They have no concept of how to be a person in society because everybody is just dumb and selfish. Now I'm not dumb, okay, <laughs> but. When you go to a performance, you are not to pee. You are not to get up and go get a drink because you're bored. When I have been I have been cursed with a comically small bladder, and I didn't get up to pee during that. Yes, there's. I got reamed when I posted this on Facebook by some girl that I don't even know. Like I have a condition. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about the jackass who halfway through when he got bored, like I got bored. Well, I better uh, better go uh, drain the old lizard and get a beer. It's not a Colts game, jackass. There's no halftime. Like the reason the Murat theater seats are so long is because you don't get up in the middle of a performance, even and, in the middle yep. of a talk like that. There's a guy on stage who is watching commotion out in the seats, and it's thrown by that. And and the 15 people you made stand up to go pee. All had to all all were annoyed. Like there, I have never been to. Uh, I bet ten percent of that crowd got up and went to the bathroom. It oh was my gosh. It, it, it was constant. It, it was didn't a, stop. A twenty twenty uh, two hundred people easily. There's yeah. not even a doubt in my mind that it was two hundred people. It's an old theater, right? yeah, so no, the I've the seats the, squeak. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was squeaking, <clears throat> and I'm like right by the door, and so the lights shining in. Like I could barely concentrate, yep. and that's the point. Is when you go to a performance, a comedy performance, you don't text on your phone, you, you, you don't talk, you don't go to ba- to the bathroom. You know, it, it's like performers on stage need to concentrate. The audience needs to concentrate. If you go to a play, if you go to a classical performance, you're supposed to immerse yourself in what is being performed live in front of you. It's yeah. not a sporting event. So I don't want to disrupt your flow too much, but this is one of the questions I had. Okay. So I think it's an opportune time. So what was what was the makeup? I was really curious, right, when you guys told me, you you know, hey, we're going to talk about this. We went to the show. And I've listened to a little bit of Jordan Peterson, not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to hear what the composition of the audience was. Well, speaking of cult games, uh, no, I mean, what, what, what was it up in your, up in your hoity-toity seats? What was I like? had, uh, so right behind me were two... Young teenagers who uh, were probably 16 and 17. Like, this was uh, like for some reason, their parents let them get out of the house and go to Jordan Peterson. Their parents probably bought them the tickets. And during the entire beginning, they just kept talking. They were really nerdy. And I was just getting very annoyed by no them. No social norms. Whatsoever. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. At one point, one of the kids goes, Everybody asks, What's the meaning of life? But nobody ever asks, how is the meaning of life? What? And I said, that doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> you just like look over at your wife and start laughing. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and the dude beside him, his friend, is like, yeah, man. <laughs> right. You remember being 15. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So that was hilarious. It, but surprisingly, there were quite a, 
a bit more women there than what I expected. Okay. Which I don't know why that was surprising because I know a lot of women who are are fans of Jordan, uh, including my wife, and mm-hmm. it was. I so would. I don't. Jeremiah was like, "This is like fish in a barrel. You you're gonna get five co-hosts and a date for every night of the week." I'm like. Every girl here is with a guy. Every <laughs> like every female there was there because her husband got tickets or yeah. like it wasn't there weren't a lot of single females there. Trust me, I was all the single ladies. I right was there. looking. Uh-huh. I was like, if you're at a Jordan <laughs> on the prowl, if, if if you're if you're at the Jordan Peterson uh, uh, by yourself, young lady, we're gonna go out. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, me and about. A thousand other guys had you probably had that, the same had thought. That thought yeah. it, it looked a lot like uh, it looked like a libertarian convention meets a Trump rally. So when we went to the Trump rally at the state fair, I was amazed at how many, you know, like you're you're a Gen X, you know, I am Gen X. You, Gen X, you live on the north side of town, you have a nice house, you're you know, you're not the type of guy that I would think would go to a Trump rally. You have all your teeth. You know, no mullet, um, and, and no hair. <laughs> it was it was a lot of upper middle class guys at the Trump rally, and that was the same. There were a lot of guys there who, you know, were middle. It was almost all young guys. It was almost all guys under thirty five. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of father son duos. Yeah, in my area. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and and it was guys dressed nicely. I but I also saw a lot of guys like who looked like James Weeks and had like crazy bushy hair and like hadn't showered. It was a very smelly crowd. Uh, <laughs> if it was if they didn't have BO then they had on too much cologne. So yeah. there were no smells in the front row. Oh, it dude, it was brutal in the back. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad in pee pee. It, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad in the pee pee seats. <laughs> I smelled uh the girl next to me, she was married to a guy. She had her purse on her lap the whole time. Didn't make a noise. She just sat there like a prisoner she clearly (laughs) and this poor guy i remember being married and you know what this is like both of you being married he's just he's like the whole time kind of leaning over trying to get her into it like trying to give her a little context or like isn't that funny or like because she's clearly not having a good time and he's like bummed that she's not having a good time so like she can't help but like do something nice for her man because it's all about her and so he's trying to reassure her the whole time and i just was like i just wanted to look at her and go you're 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 the type of lobster I want to send a red lobster. That's, that's, uh, I had a couple bros in front of me who you know cargo shorts clearly go to the gym a lot. You know, like in the back, there were a lot of people yelling "woo," you know, yeah, <laughs> like, making yeah. it about them. Yeah, like the shouting things because you know, and when he when he'd mention something, they'd all start clapping. Here's the th- a lot of suspenders. We were clapping. Lot Audrey suspe- and I were clapping. Right. A lot of suspenders too. Um, suspenders and bow ties. I did see a lot yeah, of bow a lot ties, of Jeffrey yeah. Tucker's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, he- here's the thing. I love Jordan Peterson, but I kind of got a lot of the articles based on the crowd, and I yep. don't know if you feel this way, but. No, I totally get it. Like, I left there with a whole new perspective. Yes. Mm. Like I got the impression from the crowd that if Jordan Peterson told these guys to do something, they would do it. Yeah. Yep. It's a very cult-like atmosphere. So, and that's that's kind of something that I thought about um beforehand because of all the hit pieces that have come out on Peterson um is I'm not sure who is worse, the people who are putting out the hit pieces that are making baseless claims or taking his uh, words out of context, 
or the diehard fans that obviously have no idea what his words actually mean and are commenting in the comments section. I, I had one, f- <clears throat> and I, I think he was kidding, and I called him on it because you can't say stuff. Uh, Grant Henley in the in the group chat says, "Leave mullets alone. I've been growing mine for four months, and I'm getting married with a majestic mullet next year." Nice, good for you, <laughs> Grant. What are you doing? Uh, we'll we'll get to you later, but uh, that's funny. <laughs> send send pics of your sweet mullet. Post them in the Facebook group. Uh, so I, I did. I I am just like you. I kind of went. This is a little creepy. Uh, yeah. it, it, it reminded me of the Ron Paul crowd where if you said anything, like I had one friend who posted on Facebook, uh, that he was at the event and he wrote long live the patriarchy. Yeah. And I replied back to it because if you say that kind of stuff, what you're doing is just feeding into, I get the shit posting aspect of that, but like yeah. the normies out there kind of just buy into whatever the press is like. You need to fight the narrative around this because what Peterson is actually talking about is self-help. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's talking about values. And he he first. says it constantly right. that his message is not geared towards men; it's geared towards people. And, and, and I, it just so happens that men resonate like it, it resonates with men more right. often than it does with women. And I just I find that stuff really unhelpful and. I felt there were a lot of guys there who have that Trumpian attitude of, mm-hmm. I'm going, you know, it's that false alpha male. Like, yep. it, here's, and maybe this is where we can start because it, it dovetails into that. Part of what I like about Peterson is that he's the complete juxtaposition of Donald Trump. Oh my God. He's the total opposite. <laughs> yeah. He is a, like, Jordan Peterson and you watched it he's he's a sensitive man he's there, there's something effeminate about him mm-hmm. in a way well, like he talks like Kermit the Frog so right. he's, it, ve- know, he's very um and I identify with this in some ways like I think when you're a Christian especially a Christian male gentleness patience um meekness these are virtues in the christian world and so you try to be more like christ and be empathetic and patient and loving and i think jordan peterson in a lifetime of being a christian has all those traits and so here's a man on stage who's humble who's kind of shocked by his success he's completely his mind is as blown as ours that he's got 2500 people showing up to watch him talk about, uh, you know, perception <laughs> versus reality, perception right. versus reality, yeah. and scientific studies and philosophy, and you know, and then and then in the second part, you know, what's your aim in life and how do you achieve your goals? And then at the end, he talked. To, he did the hits. He did like Freebird and like talked about the nature of religion, <laughs> and, and uh, then did the Q and A, which I thought was the best part. I loved the Q and A. That was the best part, and. So he has a lot of the like what the Bible outlines as the fruit of the spirit, all of which are the complete opposite of Donald Trump's <clears throat> version of masculinity. Yeah. Donald Trump is arrogant, he is loud, he is emotionally weak, he is sensitive, he is um prickly, uh he is quick to anger, he is uh there's just he's impulsive. Like, he's the exact opposite of Jordan Peterson. 
And yet there are so many men in that crowd who, in my mind, and maybe I'm judging a book by the cover, but you tell me if I'm wrong, that seemed like they were there to support Donald Trump's version of masculinity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, I would say that well over half of the people there um, go there and they they don't actually hear or think about what Peterson's right. saying. They have, to, they have no idea. Um, I don't know if it's because they don't think about it. They hear somebody who's saying big words and then they read the hit pieces and think, uh, yeah, he's on my side. He's countercultural, and I'm countercultural, and yeah. he's he's owning the yeah. libs, and I'm for it. I'm yeah. here. I'm here because I want to check in and show my friends that I don't buy into the liberal agenda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got that. I got that vibe from well over half of the people there, and then the other half were were people who were legitimate, like the the father son duos. You yeah. could tell, like you could tell that. It was probably the father had at one point in time showed the son and been like, "Hey, this guy is really neat," and then they they struck up a bond over that because you can tell the difference in yeah. the audience members because they're the people who are actually listening and trying to figure it out. I mean, I don't know how you were, but I mean, I was captivated that entire time because I was trying to understand. I mean, I you I, can't I, casually listen to no, Jordan Peterson. No, it's no. Not. I mean, I, I mean, in the talks that I've heard. Right, I mean, he 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 is an intellectual. It, oh yeah, you have There's to pay no attention to keep it. up. So I don't know if he dumbs it down in a no in, a, in an audience <laughs> no, like this. No, it, it, it was in my mind, it was more difficult than most of his his YouTube lectures that yeah. is in his podcast feed. Absolutely, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not a a brilliant person, so I whenever I listen to Peterson's lectures, I I don't sit down and listen to three hours of it at mm-hmm. a time. So I and typically I have to I have to start over. I listen to the same lecture multiple times before I can fully understand what's going on in it. And that's what made that so difficult is because I knew that he wasn't going to put this out in recording. Right. And I wanted to hear what he was saying, so I'm like trying to map everything out and follow him in my brain the whole time. Yeah. It was it was difficult. So for me, I found it engaging, but I also kept getting distracted by all the people moving, and I have ADD, and I found myself after an hour. So that first part about the perception I found really interesting, and then the second part I got kind of lost in my own mind. I was just like a little distracted by it, but you know what he talked about is he talked about this video, this study, where you are told to count the basketballs amongst this team, and in the middle of it, and this guy in a gorilla suit walks by, and then nobody noticed it. Like, 75% of the people didn't even see it. Mm-hmm. And so he talked about how in, in, our, in our world, our brains will fill in with right. our biases. Yeah, you're, you know, you're, so when I'm looking at Dakota, I can't fully wrap my mind around Dakota, and so my brain will kind of wrap existing things in my mind it's your memories your your brain right. is forming visuals from from past memories right which there's a it's there's a little experiment that you can do with yourself and that's focus on oh, like, i do a lot of experiments with myself <laughs> well just like if the next time whenever you go to work tomorrow you just sit down with one of the people that you have seen for years and then don't look at their face as a whole but like focus on one quadrant of their face the next quadrant of their face and it, and it it's it's appalling really because you have to it, it makes you realize like 
what have I been seeing this entire time? I had this experience in Vegas with my parents. You know, my dad turns 60. uh, My mom turns, I think, 58 next month. And when we were in Vegas, I just like it was the first time I'd really looked at my parents in a long time. And I saw age, Mm. you know, and they don't look bad, but I saw age. I saw them differently than the way that my brain has perceived them for 34 years. Yeah. You know, and then there was a little mini crisis around that because they're getting old. So am I. Oh, my God, I'm six years from 40. I'm dying, too. They're going to die and we're all going to die. And then I then I went and gambled and drank myself to death. But. Uh, that's I, not true. I did neither of those. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was it was that moment of wow. Why why have I not looked at their faces? Yeah, it's yeah. a really weird feeling. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, I mean, have you ever seen the show Brain Games? Yes. Yeah, love Long, that. Yeah, explain it. Okay, so Brain Games basically uh, each episode is a different uh, type of. I guess you could call it. Uh, either auditory or visual illusions that they that they kind of do to trick your brain and they tell you to focus on one thing but uh, basically just like the video so you're right. you're t- you're told to count the balls that the basketball players are throwing back and forth so you sit there and count the balls and you miss the 6 foot 4 gorilla that comes into the middle of the screen and beats his chest like it and then the next time that uh, they play the video is uh, this is what Peterson was saying 60% of the people missed it and then the next time that they play the video the people automatically catch the gorilla, obviously, because mm-hmm. they knew it was coming. They've been told about it. Yeah. 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 But what they don't realize was the entire backdrop, the entire background, curtain, and everything changed colors, changed from <laughs> yellow to green. And they missed that too. Wow. And that's basically what Brain Games does. So it, it once you realize that, it's kind of like you want to immediately forget it. <laughs> and, I th- and so this has been. Um, and an important part and a value that has really become important to me over the last uh, few years uh, is the power of noticing and being present in your daily life. I think yeah. part of what I, I notice about myself and the way that I talk about things is different than the way that people on Facebook talk about things because I really intentionally try to pay attention to every aspect of something. And so I think something like the immigration stuff, they just go with whatever the right says or whatever yeah. the left says. My and, tribe said this. And, and so there's not like that that effort, the energy that it takes to like really constantly be noticing things wears you out. And I think that you, you if you really pay attention to your surroundings, you start to pick up things that you, you start to notice things that other people don't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in this... This is the the phone. My God. I mean, I know I've become much, much worse. I've cursed you many times because in 2010, you were like, you really need a smartphone. (laughs) So at the LPIN, you had you helped me get an iPhone 3G and it's ruined my life. I'm I'm like barely able to. I'm not sure if I had one. at that. It is. It is amazing, though. I don't I don't think that uh, humans can like you were just talking about paying attention to things and really having to notice every little detail about it. I don't think that we can actually adequately do that. Because if if we did try to do that, uh, like on a realistic level with everything that pops across our news feed mm. or your your Twitter feed, it's you'd go insane. It's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. It, it you literally it it would be impossible. The the <clears throat> effort that will go in tomorrow. I will I will spend three hours of reading articles before tomorrow's show. I've already got all the articles picked out. It took me an hour to kind of go through and pick out what I want to read about this particular subject. 
and it will take another two, three hours just to read through everything that I think I need to know to really present to to the audience. Uh, uh, like, people don't have that kind of time. No. You know, and that's just one issue. That's a major investment. It's it's one issue. I mean, it's really difficult in this day and age to keep track of everything. And that's like that's the beauty of capitalism is that if you somebody's passion is growing up and growing asparagus. Like I don't know anything about asparagus. I don't care. You know, it's like the it's like the eye pencil, um, where you know you've got the the rubber from Indonesia and the zinc from Kazakhstan and the wood from Brazil, and then you know it's all manufactured and put together like. Not one person had to go around the world and collect these different pieces. Not one person invented, quote-unquote, the materials to make the pencil. It just it spontaneously arose out of cooperation between human beings. And so why capitalism is brilliant is that it offsets so many functions in our daily life to the group. And so you have something like, like I know what to do with a microphone, but I don't need to spend my day building a microphone. I can just buy a microphone. And there's a hundred different processes in the process and multiple people who are building the the one piece of equipment that it takes to do this show. And 500 years ago, you didn't have that. You had you had to do everything on your own. Right. You know, Chris Banger... Farming. You were Subsistent. being a blacksmith, right. and you were shoeing your horses so that you could hook up to the carriage that you made, right? And uh, take your family into the town on the with the clothes on their backs right. that your wife made. It, uh, it's totally different. It's at chrisbangle.com. I posted a video called "I Toaster," where this guy builds his own toaster, and it takes years, and he's mining copper and and uh, yeah. building plastic, <laughs> and it looks like. It's just, it's a mess. You should see it. It's a TED Talk. Um, and so th- th- our brains work in very much the same way as that capitalistic theory. Like our brains offload, like I don't need to worry about this function. And I think part of what's happening in the digital age is that our brains are trying to like, it, the, the chaos, the perceived chaos. I don't think anything's chaotic. I think we perceive that everything's chaotic and oh gosh, I better start taking care of way more than I need to. We've we've always perceived everything as chaos. There's not, I mean, look at ancient Greek Socratic writings. I mean, everything has always been chaos to the human mind. It's because we, the way that we view the world is how can I best survive? Right. And so it's, it's your chaos, it's seeing things as chaos is a survival instinct that we have. And we don't have to fight to survive anymore. Yeah. Well, it's bringing order to chaos, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think that's actually even one of Peterson's things that yeah. I yes. listened to today, right? So, <laughs> so you know, yeah, the natural state of it is is chaos, but what gives us as humans higher order, you know, intellectual abilities and, and or how that comes to fruition is by being able to bring order to the chaos. Yeah. Or one way. No, that's totally right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and... Uh, the thing about Peterson is to to kind of go back to him before we kind of spin off into the next subject. I find nothing about him to be threatening, and so while I do believe in that crowd, there are a large group of there. There is a percentage of that crowd that will do whatever he wants them to do, like any cult of personality. Uh, I'm okay with Jordan Peterson having that power. So, so do, so do we know where that comes from with him? Like what? What was 
the tipping point? Like, where did this start with him? Because he's he's not. It's Joe Rogan. Well, okay, <laughs> so, so was it Joe Rogan? Yeah. So okay. Peterson has been known in Canada and and on TVO, and he's been a professor forever and a clinical psychologist, uh, psychologist yeah. and. You know, probably should have introduced who Jordan Peterson was for those of you who don't know. But I just imagine most people in this audience kind of yeah. know. But everybody Jordan, knows Jordan Peterson. Right. So Peterson, but it is. It's funny when you talk to libertarians, they're like, I don't, I don't know who that is. I have no idea. Um, so Peterson is a clinical psychologist. He sees patients. He's a writer and researcher. He's uh, a professor, and a lot of what he talks about is. Uh, Jungian theory and dreams and you know he talks a lot about archetypes and talks a lot about mythology mythology you know if you've ever watched the power of myth with Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers which I highly recommend a lot of that is Jordan Peterson he he has a podcast series where he breaks down the bible and what Peterson does is he he intertwines religion and history and anthropological studies and evolutionary psychology and clinical psychology and right-leaning politics but he's very non-political to me like he just doesn't seem like a political person like he probably does like he'd probably vote conservative or libertarian but he's not motivated Actually, by in, politics. in an interview he was uh, uh, they asked him if he had any political aspirations in Canada and he said that he does not currently but if he ran for office it would probably be with the liberal party Okay. So, yeah. All right. I, I mean, <clears throat> so he just doesn't seem to me like to me. You were projecting. I was. I mean, <laughs> well, I guess I'm projecting based on the people that like him. Yeah. Actually. But I don't think that's him at all, right? Uh, he yeah. doesn't it, seem like a progressive liberal to me. I think he's he, he does a bit you? of a classic liberal, right? I oh, mean, yeah. 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 In, yeah. in, totally. in most ways, right? So, not to. So, he, he melds all of these things into a framework and through. Uh, you know, like when he breaks down the Bible, he talks about biblical archetypes and what are the echoes in other mythology and history that inform the, you know, the story of Moses, for instance, and the Exodus, and why does this happen, and and how does that apply to the psychology of human beings and how we interact with each other? Yeah, so it's, it's all what very is heady this stuff. telling us. It, you know, right. like. What in the world is going on? I mean, I just don't understand. The the Bible lectures, the uh, whenever he goes through the biblical stories, is probably my favorite lecture series that he has. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's very, very good. Very well thought out. He pours a lot of his own soul into this, yeah. into, what, into what he's talking about. And it, his passion, he does pour a lot of his soul into everything he does. Yeah. Absolutely. To him, everything's important and everything has a meaning and... Like the uh, and I should pull up this one clip and play it for you guys. But um, so Peterson was a you know a figure in Canada who taught at the University of Toronto. Yes, yeah. correct. He was uh, before that he was a professor at Harvard. Okay, uh, and so he psychology. And so Canada passed this law basically saying that you must legally mm. use the pronouns. Of of whatever, or else you face penalties. And he yeah. says, "This is the road to tyranny." I'm not. Gonna, mm-hmm. I'm, it's not that I'm not going to do that. I will use the pronouns of anyone, but to punish them by law, to put them wrong. in a jail right. yeah. cell, is wrong. Like 
You so have was, to... was that the event that that was the catalyst that that yeah, so, launched him uh, yeah. into? Uh, Canada was trying to pass. Uh, yeah, Bill I'm aware. C-16, I remember when this happened. Yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. Uh, he he basically went on record at whenever he was at the University <laughs> of Toronto and said, "No, you cannot force social change. Society has to evolve and change itself." Because he's like, you, you know, just I mean. It doesn't have a good look in history. Yeah. There's never been a good time in history where you have forced a societal change and it turned out well. Where you've given up the right to free speech and the right to be offensive. Mm-hmm. Like to to converse, you have to be offensive. You have to. There has to be social friction if you're having conversations about big ideas that matter. Right. And so he just basically says, like, you don't know what you're doing. And yeah, and it, it blew up the University of okay. Toronto. So he, um, students started protesting him, of course, and he was being spat on, at, flogged in the streets pretty much. And it it became, it basically rocketed, rocketed him forward. And he, and then people started realizing that he had all these lectures on YouTube and gotcha. he had the self-authoring okay. program online. And then they were like, oh, he also has a book coming out. And it, it was like, and then all of a sudden, uh, Media started kind of twisting him into this alt right type of figure. This liberal man yeah. is now an alt right figure in the eyes of the media. So it, it became a really interesting dynamic to see how that how you can make those leaps. I, I mean, I still don't really understand it. I, oh well, I mean, I, when you reject the. Uh, you know the the attempt at forced PC. I mean, that's political correctness. Right. That yeah, that's it. it. That, that that that's it's as simple as that. I think Dakota. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, you're forcing progress, you, which is not progress. Him standing to that though is is an immediate cue to a a significant chunk of the Trump base. Right. Because and yeah, I think this exactly. is a piece that that you know the the media writ large. Right misses completely about why Trump is Trump, right? His Where his support comes from, right? Right. Is, is the anti-political correctness side that he has embraced and turned into part of his whole thing. Right. Right? That's the number one factor. After, it, after political party after, identity, yeah. After party identity, the number one reason that people support Donald Trump is anti-PC culture. Yeah. We talked a lot about that in the last episode or two. I mean, yeah. where the left doesn't realize that they're creating more Donald Trump supporters by yeah. being trying to be more PC. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. look at you look at something and the boy who cried wolf and he's Hitler and blah blah blah. All that has exhausted people to the point that when something legitimately wrong like the kids at the border thing pops up, everybody goes yeah, but I don't believe you anymore. I don't care. You lie about Jordan Peterson. You lie about Donald Trump, and and and, and so therefore you're lying about me and what yeah. I believe. So here's the finger. Yeah, four more years, of Donald Trump. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, every I think Mark Brim, who uh, he's been on the Boss Hog Liberty a few times. He he said, uh, "What what's that?" No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> never heard of her. <laughs> no, Mark posted on on his Facebook page. He's like. Every time a Robert De Niro type gets on stage and, and screams "F you, Trump," then a a never Trump Republican jumps on his ticket, and, yeah. which is right. You know, it's it's totally right because there's that you're taking the common sense of politics away. I mean, yes. there's 
there's absolutely zero of it. And then you see a guy who's uh, who goes up there and says that he's not going to take it anymore. And that resonates with a lot of people. It really yeah. does because you're not actually thinking about the platform or the things that he's saying other than, oh, I hate CNN is fake news. You know, yeah. like that. I'm, I mean, I know you've talked about that a lot, but. Yeah. So Peterson goes on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and. Then people start downloading his lectures, and it's just an example of somebody who has been working hard in the dark for a long time and then gets some exposure, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, this guy's awesome. Yeah, you know, he yeah. really, I mean, his, his the first time he was on Joe Rogan, it was so mind-bending. Like, it was just like, who is this guy? He he. This is all the stuff I believe, but he's put it in a framework, and where did that come from? And then you know, he came on a few more times, and then he... You know, started doing interviews about the book that he wrote, uh, which was an opportunity carved out by going on Rogan, frankly. Yep. And the then he just like his YouTube and his Patreon and everything shot up, and I can't imagine how much money this guy's making. <laughs> like, yeah, it's crazy. So uh, at one point, I I think I saw his Patreon was like over three hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And then he's, I mean... The taxes, can you imagine? No. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Canada. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the, so you you saw him from the Joe Rogan episode. Yes. Uh, that's. I saw him from the Kathy Newman interview. That was the first time oh, I Oh, really? Just then, too? Okay. I yeah. think that was really the moment when he went from kind of like that under, like... Everybody in our world kind of knows Tom Woods and kind of knows, you know, Dave Smith and kind of knows Chris Spangle uh, <laughs> and kind of knows Dave Rubin. Uh, never mind. Uh, kind of. But then like that Kathy Newman thing, that was the moment that everybody went, what is this? Yeah. Yep. So no, that was huge. Yeah. yeah. That was a big. I, yeah. I saw that somebody shared the interview. Um, in one of the Facebook groups that I'm in, and I was like, "This guy is awesome! Like he is really." What amazing. stuck out about that to you? It was just it. It was the most apparent example of of uh, construing a person's words. So taking their words completely out of context, and what he's saying makes total sense. It's it's been common sense for the past, you know, yeah, for the past, you know, millennia, and then this guy starts talking about it and all of a sudden because he says that there is a natural hierarchy in our brains that runs off of serotonin and you think and he says he doesn't say well that is for sure he says there's some evidence because of uh, other biological creatures and she says so what you're saying is that you know women like to be oppressed and he's you know that right. that blew that blew my mind and it just really resonated with me, so I just looked him, started looking him up more. Yeah, I mean, for me, his ability to remain calm and measured and respond um, without devolving into uh, what we typically see—that that to me is what I mean. Because somebody trying to like take an interview and construe and project and you know try to own the narrative—that's that's nothing new. Right, right, right. Like what Kathy Newman did, you know, I, you can go on, you know, Fox News or MSNBC and see that anytime you want. But his ability to kind of stick with it and be calm and not shut down, right? Like, I think what I, that's it, what I found to be fascinating. Attractive. It, he's attractive because he's the anti Trump. 
and everybody is is so out of everybody's so wacky and over the top like <laughs> and and that's always been my biggest contention about Donald Trump is that he's it's just like the book about Rome you know the storm before the storm the breakdown of most maorium and the norms that keep the republican place that the Gracchi brothers destroyed leads you to dangerous places because other people start to imitate. It's like the first right. the first guy who climbs Mount Everest, everybody goes, I should climb Everest. Right. And so Donald Trump has always been a dangerous figure to me because not because like if he existed in a vacuum and he were gone in three to seven years or whatever and we never had his style of politics ever again and like the populism faded instantly uh then so what but it's going to continue yeah and this this boneheaded uh, nonsense I, i'm just dealing with idiots every day <laughs> like everybody's tired of dealing with idiots yeah i doubt we're gonna see a quick return to intellectualism no and not that <laughs> and I, I think they're like in that bonus episode that you and i recorded like we're we're talking about the cream of the crop the people whose names have withstood history but we're ignoring the billions of people that existed on the planet during those time periods that were boneheads. And there's far less boneheads now and a far higher percentage of intellectual smart people. I think one person said to me, they said, "Um, I know a lot of smart, intelligent people. I don't know a lot of deep people. And I thought that was interesting. I think that's part of what the appeal of Jordan Peterson is, is that he's deep. He's trying. He's trying to understand the world around him, trying to get it to make sense, trying to prevent the kind of world that Trump has created. Yeah. You know, and you can support Trump and his policies. That's fine. That's fine with me. But, you know, and there's things that he does that I like, so I'm not throwing the baby out with the bath bathwater. I'm like not a never Trumper. I'm like a all, almost don't agree with Donald Trump on most stuff. Yeah, Trumper. Uh, like he's, but as far as being a human being, like there's many different ways to judge an individual. You know, especially a politician. There's their policies that they actually enact. There's the the tactics that they use. There's their personal character. There's all these different ways that you evaluate somebody. And Donald Trump, in terms of his personal character, is just a grotesque person. And you look at somebody who is using, who is intentionally using separations at the border, traumatizing children and families. Little children are changing diapers because guards aren't allowed to touch the kids for legal reasons and their parents are in a holding cell and then Donald Trump's like, well, that's their problem. Too bad. Like, those are human beings. Those are people. Yeah. Like, that's a person. You know, whereas Jordan Peterson looks at it and goes, yeah, there's the law, but there's also, I don't know, he he just is to me a cool drink of empathetic water (laughs) in a society that has just lost its way in terms of values and morals and principles and is he a redo of a lot of ideas? Yeah. But that's the point of this, is that as we talk with each other, you're hearing us have a conversation as we figure stuff out. You listen to the course of this podcast, like term limits for me is something where if you listen to the beginning of the podcast, I'm I'm against term limits. I'm now more for term limits than I am against them 
because the conversation of this podcast over the course of many years has changed my mind on things. I don't have to be so f- so inflexible and so hardcore and like flip flopper. <laughs> right, exactly. Like for that cheap political win, and I think that's why people have responded to this show so well is that I invite people like you two on who are not looking to be inflexible and partisan and own the libs or cons. Like you're just trying to figure stuff out and like talk about your world and go, okay, this, what's this makes, how does this make sense and all that? Mm. So, um, before we kind of transition, this is a little bit of a long clip. Uh, it's about six minutes long, but I think but when we as we transition into the other thing, this is the best thing I've ever heard Jordan Peterson say. Like it completely changed. Um, I spent all of 2016 thinking about the question: How does a society like Germany devolve into Nazi Germany and exterminating 20 million people? How does that happen? Mm-hmm. How do they let that happen? And and he kind of talks about that, and he kind of talked about it in the show that we went to as yeah. well. Yeah, I think you might have missed it while you were stuck in peepee. I was stuck in peepee. <laughs> I was dealing with the reality of sitting in peepee. Did you miss that part when you talked about Auschwitz? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, he yeah looked, I, was, I, I could tell on his face that he's like, don't, don't no memory whatsoever. What you were about. No, no memory whatsoever. It was during the Q and A. What did he say? It was about um, how he stays humble. Yeah, 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 yeah. About how basically he's like, I could be that person. Yeah, and it's it, terrifying. To yeah. Talk about his answer for the people. So not only just you and I have the benefit. Do you remember really kind of what he said? Does oh, your you clip cover it. What does your clip cover it? Kinda uh, a little bit, but yeah. I think I know what clip you're going to yeah, show. I think it, I've yeah. watched it. Uh, but it's from episode podcast episode two in the in the feed. But uh, yeah, about tragedy. He basically. Um, uh, so someone says, how do you become famous at the age of 50? Overnight, you're a multimillionaire. How do you stay so humble? And he, of course, as you know, I I don't want to say that I'm I'm humble necessarily, but I like to think that I keep my feet on the ground. And he said, so how I do that is I, I sit and I I thought about Auschwitz. And I thought, this is weird. <laughs> he knows how to party, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where's this going? And then uh, And then he says, how do you stay humble? I just like to think about burning dead Jews. Like, whoa! Yeah, yeah it well. was a it was a huge leap. But then he he explained himself. It made sense because he said that uh, he sat there and he thought about it. How can how can a person uh, become so evil? How can how can a regular man uh, become go go yeah, and killed complacent? Kiss his wife as he leaves the door. Go out, exterminate Jews. Come home and kiss his wife and act as if nothing is nothing right. is different. And he he said that well I first realized that if I was in Nazi Germany it, I very well could have done that. one of those guys. He yeah. said and then the further that I thought about it I I realized I I would have done that and then I realized that as a Nazi in Nazi Germany I could have enjoyed it. He said and that is the most terrifying thing that a human can think. So he just that's what he thinks about and that's what keeps him humble i guess which is um, it. it's pretty strange but like if you listen to his other stuff it, it makes sense like his whole entire house is decorated with soviet era communist artwork mm-hmm. I mean, so uh luke writes in the in the chat mom mentality means that individuals lose response uh, responsibility proportionally to the number of people doing similar things and it's a monster that feeds on itself and that's exactly right once you once you as a society have given yourself permission to do a certain thing 
and it becomes it, it's like abortion. Like uh, I don't know about you two, but I'm pro life, and uh, I, I like uh, I believe that that child in the womb has all of the natural rights that you and I enjoy. Yep. Uh, now I fully understand that there are people who don't agree with that. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, we are guaranteed fine. the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. If you cut off a life before you can take a, its first breath, then right. that's, I mean, that's a fundamental right you're taking away. And I'm sorry, I don't buy the Rothbard theory of that baby is trespassing, so you have the right to evict it. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the. All right, bro. I mean, there's a separate. There's a separate theme <laughs> of evictionism. <laughs> Go ahead, Dick. There's a separate theme of of evictionism, which we're not there yet in mm-hmm. our in our medical field. But uh, basically, if if you could remove the the fetus and then it could be born, quote unquote, born in an incubation chamber and then put up for adoption, then that would be the safer alternative to to abortion. Sure. Which is I'm, fine. You I'm, know? I'm I mean, down with that. I mean, as long as you're protecting life. But like to me, to get to a place in America where 100 years ago progressives develop you know, euthanasia and abortion as a way to control black populations, and then all of a sudden it becomes a right and a natural like part of our life, and it's a socially acceptable, like, I mean, that, that that's kind of what that means. Like, it, things get so far that as it goes through the generations it just becomes enshrined in that generation and that's a that's a huge problem um not not just abortion but that whole mentality right, right. Uh, is what i mean um and and that's why i am so aggressive about protecting free speech like it doesn't matter if you if you think like yes property owners and and business owners have the right to fire an nfl player who doesn't stand for the national anthem but when you're not aggressively protecting free speech, which is the cornerstone of liberty, it is the cornerstone of good societies, then that that erodes very quickly. Like the the Joe Rogan interview with uh, Douglas M- McMurray, uh, the guy who wrote The Strange Death of Europe, uh, I will put that, I think it's Douglas Murray, I will put that in the uh, show notes. But they spend a lot of time talking about free speech and Charlie Hebdo, like even to mm. the extreme limits where... You're doing something that can cost you your life. Like you're being provocative to the point that you get killed. It's it doesn't matter if the cartoon was funny or not. You have to support that right because if you don't, then it's just an erosion of that entire concept. And I think I skipped over that episode, but now I have to go listen to it. Yeah, uh, I wish I. Yeah, I have the book over there, one of my hundred and twenty-five library books that I've got checked out. But um, and that's those are not, all library books. That's not even an exaggeration, Dakota. Yeah, no. That's not an exaggeration at all. Do they let you? How many do late that? fees do you have? <laughs> you don't have any late fees. You just keep renewing them. You go through, and like you don't read most nonfiction books all the way through. You kind of skim through them, right? I mean, you read the intro that gives you most of the information in the book. You kind of read through, look at the pictures and the charts and all that, and move on your way. You know, like so. Got that's qu- what you do when you're trying to refresh your memory on what it said. Well, that's. I mean. Maybe, but that's how I do it. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, all right. All right so here's go to this, the clip. Here's this clip from Jordan Peterson. I think there's evidence throughout history that it's possible for people to be enlightened. And you'd think, since enlightenment is viewed as the medication for vulnerability and death, that everybody would be struggling as hard as they possibly could to be enlightened if such a state exactly and precisely exists. But if the barrier to enlightenment 
is the development of self-consciousness of the individual human's capa infinite capacity for evil, then you can be immediately convinced about why enlightenment is in such short supply. When I finished my first provisional examination of the sorts of motivations that drove people to set up concentration camps and to torture people terribly in those camps, I came to a terrible conclusion. It was a conclusion that I think in some ways was the worst thing that had ever happened to me, maybe intellectually and morally. I, th I thought, I came to understand why it is that people depended on their group identity and their cultural identification, because that helped protect themselves from their own vulnerability. You have to believe things, because you just don't know everything. So you have to believe things. They fill in the gaps. The beliefs fill in the gaps. If the beliefs are stripped from you, then your defenses against the infinite are stripped, and it's no wonder that people will defend their beliefs. I thought, well, you do, if you're too involved in defending your beliefs, you're going to be willing to kill other people in their defense. And we're so technologically powerful now that we can no longer be willing to kill other people in the defense of our own beliefs because the time for that is past. And I realized, well, if you, if you don't stand up for your beliefs, you leave yourself bereft, you're open to the depredations of the infinite. That's equally intolerable. It seems to leave no way out. There is a way out, you know, and I think it's the way out that genuinely religious people have tried to offer humanity for thousands and thousands of years. And the way out of the conundrum posed to you by your reliance on ideological beliefs and your vulnerability in the face of the unknown is the development of a truly integrated and powerful character. And that's a individual development, and it means constant confrontation with things you don't understand and constant attempts to ensure that your character is composed of truth and solidity rather than deceit and to make of yourself something that's built on a rock and not predicated on sand and the thing is it's it's one thing to tell people that because maybe they should take care of themselves but i don't know if that's enough to tell people because they don't take care of themselves that well but it's a completely other thing to say look you know every time you make a pathological moral decision you move the, one, the world one step closer to complete annihilation. And I absolutely believe that. I think the historical evidence is crystal clear. And I also think that every time you make an appropriate moral decision and you manifest moral courage in the face of your own vulnerability, then you move the world one step farther from the brink. And every, that's the case for every single person. You know, Solzhenitsyn said, drawing on his Eastern Orthodox Christian background, Every single person is the center of the world, a center of the world, not the center of the world. The world's a complicated place. It can have all sorts of centers. It's hard to believe that you might be one of them, but everything about human existence is hard to believe. The fact that it's here at all is hard to believe. The nature of it's hard to believe. Everything that human beings does is so ridiculous and remarkable that it's like it's a consistently and constantly unfolding miracle. The idea that each of you might be a center of the cosmos, in that infinite admixture of ridiculousness and absurdity is, is hardly more than one more ridiculous thing to swallow. Well, I'll summarize, I guess. I said that tragedy is a precondition for being. Being is the interplay between the finite and the infinite. And in that interplay, there's tragedy, and there's no way out of that. Evil is something different. Evil's the conscious attempt to make the conditions of existence more pathological than they have to be. And it's motivated by conscious intent. The motivations arise because people pay, a, 
terrible price for their self-conscious awareness, and that awareness is their awareness of their vulnerability. And that is a terrible thing to be aware of. That vulnerability can be confronted forthrightly, accepted, and the appropriate decisions made. Alternatively, people can retreat into their own rationalistic arrogance and attempt to deceive themselves and everyone else about the nature of their own existence and about the nature of reality. That pathway leads to nothing but destruction. I think that there's good reason to assume that it's too late in, the de in our developmental course as a species for that path to be acceptable anymore because we're too powerful. And if too many people stay on that path, we're going to do ourselves in. And so I would say, as we've become more technologically powerful, an increasing moral burden is being placed on each of us. It matters to the, to the, to the destiny of the cosmos whether or not you get your moral act straight. And I don't mean that in a trivial way. I believe that that's as close to an empirical fact as anything that can be demonstrated. And I also believe that's as terrifying a thing to consider as anything you could possibly imagine. And maybe it's too much to ask of people. But you know, our great religious traditions do continually remind us that inside every human being there's a spark of divinity. And that idea is a precondition for our entire system of law. There's always the possibility that it's true. And if it's true, it means that there is a, there's, a, there's an infinite avenue of potential that lays open to every single person and that the ability to transform the terrible conditions of reality into something not only acceptable but worthy of celebration actually lies within our grasp. And the alternative, that, the alternative to that is the continual generation of a kind of hell that's so incomprehensibly awful that by any reasonable person's standards, it has to be regarded as something to avoid. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Well, I have been, uh, I have received a text message that is so infinitely mind-bendingly awful that it has thrown my chaos, my cosmos into inordinate chaos. I forgot and about this. Yeah, can we bring some order to Chris? My, uh, <laughs> this is the worst text message you can possibly receive. It's from my mother. Uh -oh. oh no. Need tech, my son. My Vera stopped working. Panasonic TV. Google. Didn't help. I have sound. Can't mute. Home theater is working. Shrug emoji. <laughs> Can you help? Period. Uh, I love that. This explains my childhood. It's a control issue. Shocked emoji. 1966. Period. I have to actually get up and turn it up or down. Period. White person problem. So lame. <laughs> White person problem. It's <laughs> funny. That's cute. That's cute. Your mother's racist. I think. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, she's not. She's trust me. She's very not racist. Let's not talk about my dad. Um, <laughs> so no, uh, I, I think you hear someone in that conversation talking about how they work out what they believe and how they approach the world, and I think for me. I'm constantly thinking about and evaluating my interaction with other people, with the world, with myself. How do things apply to my belief system? Uh, I'm I'm constantly trying to think those things out, and I think 
one thing that a lot of people haven't done in this day and age is sit. They don't sit down and think about their personal values. They just sort of exist. They go to work. They wake up, they go to McDonald's, they get a coffee and a McMuffin, and then they go to work, and they chat about fantasy football, and they pretend to work and look at memes, and then they go home, and then you know maybe they get Chick-fil-A on the way home, and then they come and play Fortnite, then they fall asleep after they've, you know, beat off or whatever. And, like, that's just sort of their existence. You know, maybe they have kids and they find some level of meaning in kids, and, you know, then their kids grow up and become awful, horrible 13-year-olds. How's things going for you? Everything good? Not, not quite 13 yet. All right, good. <laughs> so you still got time. That, like I always say, like I may move to a, I may move to a different state, yeah. something with more sunshine when my nieces stop being cute. Mm-hmm. So like I've got like 10 years when they're adorable, and then I just don't want to talk to them. Like, just be away. Yeah. Goodbye. How um, old are they? They're two and four. So yeah. So you got about 10 years. They're perfect. Yeah. They're great. Fourteen year old, I don't want to deal with those. I saw, I saw their mom. Okay, I lived with their mother with those emotions, <laughs> and the, the the older one has has all the. It's funny. I prayed for my sister to have girls, and she got two just like her. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and so I think people just kind of don't sit there and do the work of thinking about what they believe, and so the first question in that is. What makes up a value system? What are the essential pieces of a value a value system that you need to figure out what you believe? It's not just as simple as, I'm a Christian, I'm a liberal, mm-hmm. and I want people to be nice to each other. Like, to figure out what a value system is, though, you have to you you really have to look at yourself, uh, think about what what values mean to you. Like, what is what is the uh, the pragmatic truth of value? So what uh, what I'm I'm guessing I'm asking you right now. <laughs> what whenever you say a value system? So you're you wanting mean? me to pay attention instead of reading the chat? Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so, so go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Uh, go, no, I, no, I say. So I was trying to formulate this as we're going right, but I mean, I think you know, if I had to define a value system, you know, it, it's a set of uh, you know, principles or guideposts, right, that are going to help you govern your decision making in terms of, you know, how you how you choose what's right and what's wrong. Right. Right. Um, and that can come from so many different places. Right. And I don't you know, I think it's certainly multi-layered and complex right but i think when you boil try to boil it down to be like you know hey what's what is that what is your value system um you know it comes to your worldview your north star right how mm-hmm. how do you when when you sit back to have to dissect you know how you're going to make decisions um you know what's going to what's going to govern that process right you know, here here's an, a list of values for as an example to kind of get you to thinking uh, about what that word is defined as: achievement, advancement, adventure, affectionness, uh, affectionness. What is that? I'm, I, we're we're going on like hour five of of podcasting. Uh, uh, co- cooperation, creativity, emotional security, fame, family happiness, freedom, friendship, health, helpfulness, wisdom, wealth. Uh, responsibility, self-respect, power, pleasure, loyalty, integrity, inner harmony. So it, it's things so, that, that set up 
how you how you control yourself and then also how you interact with other individuals. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the things I wanted to point out was that you're reading this list off. Obviously, fame isn't a, it doesn't even cross my mind whenever I come up with the, the things that whenever I think about morality, well, you have it. So you know, like you have fame already. <laughs> no, so. but that can be a value. Somebody can have that as a exactly. value, exactly. Right? And that's a, that's what I'm trying to point out. While it might not be for me, you know, other people want fame. That's a that's a part of their value structure. Like. Which, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is it's it's all on an individual basis. Right. You have to derive your value system based on yourself. Right. What do you think is important in life? Correct. If my motivation, like I've don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but my motivation to do We Are Libertarians is not to get famous. This is not a stepping stone for me to get something else. Mm-hmm. And. And I think that you see that value in the way that I do content and the way that I interact with the audience compared to maybe some other podcasters who who are using this as a stepping stone to build an audience that will better leverage them into a better opportunity according to them. And so the way that they conduct their show is different than the way that I conduct my show because my value is is equally as selfish, but in a different way. Like, my value in doing this is that I want to better understand the news of the day and the stories of the day, and so I do a lot of reading, and I would never do the amount of research and reading if I didn't actually have a deadline. and Why? have, have to, Because I want to better understand how the world operates. Why? Because I find it interesting. I don't like, and I don't know that there's a why to that. I think yeah, for, for I stopped for a second. For me, I think <laughs> the why is that it's emotion, it's mentally and emotionally stimulating. Mm-hmm. That if if I don't have the focus of figuring out these different trends or doing the show, like my brain, it, it, it's like a, it's like you know when the pace car hit the wall the other day in the IndyCar race. It's like the <laughs> 900 horsepower car hit and then just swerved and hit the wall. Like for me. This this keeps me um, stimulated, and you know because I don't know I just enjoy it. And the other part is I find I I find friendship through this, uh, not just with people like you two, but also with the audience. Uh, and so that I find meaning in that group, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why I do this stuff. So seeking identity, sure. Right? Yep. Seeking um, seeking you know companionship, sure. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the intellectual curiosity side of it, the, the mental stimulation side of it, I think there's another level there. I'm not sure what it is. Right. But you're, it seems like you're seeking to avoid something else there. Maybe Mm. like what happens when you don't get that stimulation? Well, I get bored and I don't like to be bored. Uh, and then... I start thinking about. See, here's the thing. It's it's like Adventure Time on Cartoon Network. Oh, you go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, dang it, I can't I can't <laughs> remember the the old man's name. Do you remember? No, I've old man with it. the big head and, uh, um, and Ted Kennedy. Uh, no, <laughs> but they're the basically uh, characters say, "Why don't we do something scary tonight?" The old man says, "We can go to bed early and be alone with our thoughts." Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. 
That yes. that to me is Th- that, that's a huge part of it. Yes, it, it is a way to cope. No, I'm with, just trying to see if there's like a value that you're also seeking. Through um, that, right, you know. I, I don't know if this is a value necessarily, but it's more of a function of health. Like for me, as I talked about in the depression episode, like there there are a lot of good ways and bad ways to cope with your emotions. And I have a lot of emotions, and I have a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. And if I don't channel that that intensity into something healthy, then I can channel it yeah. into something unhealthy. Yeah. And so, so if it doesn't, but you're, but I mean, I think the the thing there is, you your values guide you to a definition of what's healthy for you and what's right. unhealthy for you. Absolutely, and that, that's the important piece here. I think, and, and I am informed on what is healthy for me by personal experience but also the knowledge that the world provides you know i i know i've tried high carb and i have tried high fat diets the paleo high fat diet makes me lose weight and makes me feel good the high carb diet makes me feel like garbage and i gain weight no matter how hard i work out i can i can not work out and lose weight on a high fat diet for instance so yeah. that personal experience because there's research out there there's knowledge out there on both of these, there's people who are desperately passionate, including my trainer, who are like, high carb is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Low fat, high carb. And I'm just like, sorry, dude. I know that you you have this level of authority in my life and you have more knowledge about this, but my personal experience informs my decision making about my diet. You know, but when it comes to exercise, I listen to him because my personal experience from his knowledge is always right. Mm-hmm. And so so I think there's a combination of, I, I think first and foremost, you have to be in the world. You have to be yeah. engaging in the world and you have to have some level of social friction. And I think you have to open yourself who, who up. Who has to? What do you mean by this? I think everyone. I think that uh, if you- Everyone should or everyone has to? I think, I think everyone has to, to grow. So does it everyone have to grow? Mm. The world would be a better place if they did. So that's your value system. Mm, fair enough. I I I think um, I have a personal disdain for people who have the same. They come to me for advice for the same thing for five years straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like to me uh, for five in in five years, I'm going to be sending in the you, same sending place. you videos of. Of our board set up and <laughs> <laughs> no, like that. That's no, like that's friends need, helping. I'm, yeah, no, I know, you know what you're like, saying. I need help. I can't do this. I can't. But I'm depressed. Right. It's like, well, did you go to therapy? Like I told you, did you go no. talk about antidepressants? Right. No. Did you like? I have a very. I will. I will talk to that person. I will be that person's friend. I will help them. But there is a little bit of. How many more fucking times do I have to tell you this? Right. Same piece of information. Before you finally listen to me, don't you recognize that I have some experience? And so I think people will reject. No, you. So you certainly value personal progress. That is part of yes, your value system. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think a, a key part of personal progress is having conversations like this with friends like Matt, who have known you for a long period of time. And can reflect back to you your behavior, your thinking, can help you break that down. Uh, and so I think having a, a healthy social life is important in, in terms of determining what you believe because people don't think in a vacuum. You think in groups. Yeah. So, and I think if you're not talking with friends, and that requires, we- that requires being open and vulnerable and accepting 
of of hearing things that you may not totally like. Right. It's a, you okay, you said that we we think in groups and that sounds like a collectivist idea, but no. I mean it's it's really not. Sure. No. I yeah. mean I just wanted to Are you are you uh is is your thinking function extroverted? Oh, for sure. Okay, see my thinking function's introverted. Yeah, yeah me too. Right. Yeah. So my intuition function is extroverted. Mm-hmm. Right. So I I I need to be, I want to be around the group from a gathering information perspective. Right. But the thinking is is internalized. You'd rather hear me and uh well you're what are you again? Are you an INTJ? Uh yes. All right, leave. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> INTJs are my mortal enemy as an ENFJ. But no, actually I'm not. I don't I think I'm You don't not. come across as an INTJ. I, don't know. I forget. I honestly forget. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I'm INSP maybe. Maybe. You you don't yeah. seem like an INTJ. You're not socially awkward and yeah. uh annoyed with me all the time and uh <laughs> um uh Luke wants to know do you think a bunch of acquaintances and shallow friends are better than a couple of core deep friends. Mm. Uh, a, I, w- I would ask you if you think that th- that there's something that I'm communicating that you were hearing differently. So, like, did you ask that question because you think I'm saying that? Or are you genuinely asking? If you're genuinely asking, I think deep friends, deep friendships are far... Intimacy is important. And I don't mean intimacy in the way that I mean, like... How you make babies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Important, but that's not what I mean. Like the the idea that two people, two individuals, connect to each other deeply over a long period of time is incredibly important. Uh, it's a value you have, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think popularity, which is just having a bunch of acquaintances, is it's just not. It doesn't really do much for you. Like it, it, yeah. it for you again. Like that can be somebody's value. I, I, it doesn't do much I don't, for me either. I just yeah. don't. I don't know anybody out there who is like I'd rather. I don't know anybody out there who has a genuinely healthy emotional life who is sitting there going, "Yeah, I don't want any deep friends." Like I feel like there. I are, hear you. There are some things that are so inherent in human beings. Challenging you at the meta level, though, here right. a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, does that just because? Okay, if that person's not truly um, then satisfied, what does that mean? Does but that mean also, they have I mean, no do, values? or they, How do you know that you they're know? not satisfied in their life, emotionally speaking? Well, I can't know. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, unle- I, you only know about me what I choose to share out of my face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I think there are just a, cer- there are a certain set of things that are healthy behavior for human beings emotionally. Yeah. The same that no one disputes that exercise is good for you. We can argue what exercise is best for you and best for what joints or whatever, but by and large, our bodies are meant to move and not to be sedentary, yeah. right? And I think the same is it's the same with emotional health and mental health and and uh, like deep friendships and relationships with people is core to being a healthy person. And I think if you can't, if you look at your life and you have a lot of people in your life and you wouldn't go to their funeral. That's a problem. Yeah. Like, like, that's the most profound thing that Maya ever said to me. She goes, "We're not friends. You'd never come to my funeral." And I was like, "Oh, that that's true." <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, and 
we became better friends after that because I realized like I want friendships in my life with people who would want to come to my funeral and vice versa because they genuinely want to show up and grieve because yeah. I had an impact on their life, not because they're showing up because the community showed up and they want to like, it's not social obligation. It's out of, we had a genuine Respect. connection. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Right. And so I think that might be a good guide marker for people. I think, relationships on a deep level are just it's not a personal value i think it's just a human need no so i i agree with what you're saying right and and i guess part of what i'm teasing out for myself as i'm you know prompting you and and teasing it out through you a little bit right is like to what end okay right so i i i would come at this and say i mean everybody has a value system Mm -hmm. right but clearly, you know, you know, depending on what you want to define as whether it's success or happiness or being a good person or whatever whatever label you want to put on that kind of you know, means to the end or not means to the end, the end, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Is that the value system does it get you there? Right. Right? And and everybody's definition of what there is is going to be a little bit different sure. too, right? And so that, I mean, to put, this comes into the question of like, then is it, should we pass judgment on other people's value systems? No, because I think openness is an important value for healthy social interaction. Like I, it is important for me to. Well, let me interrupt you real uh, quick. If, if somebody, you know, finds through their value system that it's okay for them to go murder people, you would not say that that's a good value system. No, not at right? all. So so I I think there is a line there. Yeah, but if it, if part of your value system is it's okay to go murder someone, what then drove it, that? You're mentally ill. Yeah, and so maybe the question is, what relationship does your personal value system have with the interaction of the outer world? So yes. you, your, your personal values may may not interact well with the outer world like murdering them you know like okay or ki- okay let's let's lighten the word let's choose kill instead of murder okay <laughs> no this is an important distinction sure would you go serve in the military and right. kill people on the battlefield uh, i couldn't i no. wouldn't no okay but lots and lots and lots of people do are they all mentally ill dakota it, I, it's not murdering well, this is a libertarian it's podcast, so, so there's no. You're gonna. I think it's hard to say that they're mentally ill, right? But I think of the they're governed the by a value system, of, right? They're governed by a value system, but I, I, I would See, say that, that, that maybe getting, their value system, for instance, patriotism, may be a higher value than the taking of the life of someone else. I think for me, the the value on human life, the inherent value that every person has is one of the central values of my life which is informed because of my christian values right and my christian values my libertarian values which are essentially not using force to achieve social or political goals to go back to the non-aggression principle like to me to kill is something that i unless it is in self-defense i could not do it I could not go serve in the military because I don't have the attachment to a higher cause like patriotism that would allow me to violate those values unless that is inverted and patriotism were the higher value than killing. 
for instance, or using the concept of force. And, and, and part of it is that I value individualism. And not everybody thinks like that, which right. is very clear. Uh, I believe that if I am faced with a Vietnamese person in the Vietnam War, I believe that's a human being with the right to live. And the concept that our governments are fighting with each other does not justify me taking their life. There are other people who believe that for the collective good, we must invade Vietnam and stop the communists from invading, and these are just the costs. So Christy Avery just joined and said, what is this even? Uh, <laughs> but so th- th- I see what you're saying, though, but I, I want to point out, okay, you said, are, mm-hmm. are people in the military mentally ill? Because they signed up and said there's a possibility I could kill someone, correct? Well... I do want to point out that the the, the high amounts of PTSD. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there are staggering amounts of military veterans that do suffer greatly from mental illness. Absolutely, uh, I don't think whether that, there's a correlation. I think that's but, but after we're talking the fact, about mostly. Well, right, because you kill someone and it's not good. Yeah. It's not inherently in our nature to want to kill someone. It's it's not biologically there. I think it, I think it is biologic. I think it is inherent in it. Yeah. I think so. Let me, let's just flat out say, people in the military are not mentally ill. Let's yeah, yeah. Make yeah. That clear. I, I yeah, definitely that was, don't believe that. We're no, that, right. by the way. We're not, for instance, we're not Arvin Borges right here. But uh, yeah, the the reason that I have a lot of the values that I have, like I've always said, I'm not libertarian because. I'm a an objectivist who just believes this is the right social order. Like I'm a I'm a libertarian because the government just flat out doesn't work. Like I'm informed by results. So I have taken information. You, you go and you listen to the cost episodes and tell me that the government works right. and that the government is good for individuals. You know, I, I mean, I have ten principles of weird libertarianism, and maybe we could walk through these two that we could just revisit because it might help with the discussion but you know it i think there's there's a lot of thinking that you have to do about what do you actually believe and how how does how do you interact with others because i constantly say that a vote is an extension of your values mm-hmm. and if you have no idea what your values are then you have no idea what policies to support or what candidates to support and so for me the idea that i would steal from dakota or that Matt and I would vote to steal from Dakota is not something that I would do in an interpersonal situation, and so therefore I don't believe that it is morally right for the government to do it. I'm also cognizant that we live in reality and that in our lifetime, unless nuclear war happens, we're probably the chances of having an anarchist government are low. Um, but uh, whoa, <laughs> low. Um, <laughs> Well, you never know with technology. I mean, we talked about changing realities earlier, but, you know, and so if we have to work in the framework of the world, we have to take our personal values and the things that we believe and then negotiate with other people who have different values and different philosophies of government to try and get the best outcomes. And so you have to go and talk to people and engage with people and find out why do you believe what you believe? How could you be a progressive liberal who is against free speech? Who? What are the experiences that inform you? And through that connection with someone else, then they see you as a human, you see them as a human, and then you can negotiate to a, a place that is healthy for everybody. How did, how did you develop your moral code? 
for lack of a better term. So part of, and I don't know if it was Peterson who has talked about it, but part of the purpose of political philosophy or general philosophy or religion, it is mental software that is quickly uploaded to the brain. So there are things that I think all the time, and then I say them, and then somebody goes, oh, yeah, Rothbard wrote about that 30 years ago, <laughs> you know, where you're like, oh, this isn't new territory, you know, and so it, so if you can get, if someone can hand you a framework of things, and then you start picking that apart based on your experiences, then you kind of go, okay, this is what I believe. So for me personally, um, I would say that I grew up... Um, I grew up very independent. I have always been very iconoclastic. I have always been very anti-authoritarian. I get that from my dad. I would say that a lot of my personality is a blend of both of my parents. So obviously many of my beliefs and biases and, and those things come from my parents. And then I start, and then I became a Christian at 18. And then so you are given this... Um, the set of values and it's not handed to you. You you're kind of like in the dark groping an elephant trying to figure out what it is. So you you weren't raised in church. I was not, I was an atheist till I was 17 and I read Herman Hess, uh, Siddhartha and I became a Buddhist. I was like, this seems really cool. And it was a, and it was a way to deal with the emotional pain I was going through. Like Buddhism was a release of that pain. And then 9-11 happened, and I was like, maybe I should check out Christianity. And then two years down the road, like almost immediately I became Christian, but then really took me like two years to fully understand what it all meant. I still, every day, We're, learn something new about the, the religious framework. You know, So it, it's been 20 years, and I'm still figuring it out. And yeah. it's the same with libertarianism. It's been a 10-year process. Were you... Um it was an atheist household, or was no. atheist a rejection? Your Just, rejection. It was my of, rejection. Okay, and I'll tell you where it came from. It came from um, first grade. My mom felt that we should have some level of religious connection because she grew up in a Catholic school uh, environment, and so she took us to Sunday school about once every two months. And they had a sticker chart, and every time I showed up, everybody had all these long lines of stickers, and I had one, and then I would be made, I would be shamed and guilted for not having enough stickers, mm-hmm. as if it was me at first grade telling my mom we were going to get up early and go to church. And so from that experience, I developed a deep hatred for any Christians. And then you buy into the worldview of all Christians are evil, all Christians are bad, Christianity is a hateful religion, and you adopt that, that cultural mm-hmm. message— mm-hmm. And you go, well, this must be the reality. And then you have to open your mind. I opened my mind and accepted that maybe I was wrong and started learning more. And I was like, no, this actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with politics. I grew up in a Republican household. I had all these beliefs. I was challenged by Andy Horning and Abdul. They were constantly picking apart my beliefs. And I had no answer for it. And so when you have no answer, what do you do? You go look for an answer. And then eventually you kind of go, wow, no, I'm really a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of these beliefs are inherent in some ways, and then you are constantly negotiating with the world and defending your positions and trying to understand your personal experiences and emotions and then going, okay, that's what this is. It The world kind of like, you have these human experiences and these human emotions and yeah. these human behaviors, and then the world defines them because they've already been like, Humans have existed for so long and talked about so many things and written about so many things, 
and then you realize like, oh, Augustine wrote about this in 300. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the inherent word would be the one I was going to maybe pick at a little bit, but I think the way you described it afterwards, right? I mean, I'm much more of a nurture over nature guy, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think we're, per, you know, hardwired with our values per se, right? right. I mean, I think there, there are certain uh, tendencies from evolutionary biology and all that fun stuff and evolutionary psychology as well, right? But, um, I think the the shaping of your values and how that creates the worldview and um, is largely shaped by your experiences. Yeah, right. That's why I think Peterson has caught on for so many people. They he he's like, it comes at you unexpectedly, and then you go, oh, these are all the things that I think this identify I identify with this worldview. This is my belief system now. Yeah, you know, and guys who are not used to dealing with their emotional life because most American men are not kind of get it. It's like the, like when I converted to Christianity, I was hardcore. Like I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm not a hardcore Christian at this point, but I was like, it's like the new libertarians are always the most like jihadist, you know? (laughs) And and like the, the, the new people who are into politics, uh, that's why I think partly the discussion sucks right now about everything is because people got interested in politics in 2016. Yeah. And so they're all new and they're all like, they don't know how to research. They don't know how to think. They don't know the discussions that we've all figured out over the past 10 years or 50 years. Well, It's tough to react to Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, it is. Yeah, for real. Um, so, I feel that was... So, for you, though, is that we keep talking about values, but then at the beginning we said we were going to talk about morals. Ooh, I thought the word was values that Chris chose. Either way. Well, Chris started talking about the, explain values. Explain a, the difference. Well, I'm just I'm just trying to think if my value system dictates where I derive my morals from. For me. Okay. I'm, and I'm wondering, like, the only reason I'm saying this is because I'm wondering if that's not... Not the way it actually works. Oh, I don't if, know. If I'm getting something mixed no, up. No, no, no. I'm not sure I um, delineate the difference between values and morals. So I had to Google I might it. be using... I'm probably just interchanging. Are there differences? Thanks, yeah. thanks to... Help me, Google. Difference between morals and values.net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally called difference between.net. Uh, difference between morals and values. Morals and values are a part of a behavioral aspect of a person. Moral is a system of beliefs that is taught for deciding good or bad, whereas values are personal beliefs or something that comes from within. Mm. These are emotionally related for deciding what is right or wrong. So the morals are the system. Come from a system. Come from a system, whereas values are more personal. Oh, see, that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. (laughs) Some YouTube watcher says we're clickbaiting motherfuckers. Uh, No, we've just been doing this for two hours, so if you go back to the beginning, it's exactly what we said we were going to do, bruh. Uh, So once we end, go back and you're going to watch at the beginning. Uh, So what about ethics? What's versus ethics? Uh, Hmm. Yeah, let's check that out. See, I guess uh, I don't really think about... Ethics are moral values in action. In action. In action. Okay. Yeah, Don't you report too. us for terrorism. I will find you, I will hunt you down, and I will report you to Hillary Clinton uh, telling her that you'd like to make love to her. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how Trump made the deal. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any other conversation on this topic? I guess that my, my um, big thing was is that I, I went through this whole thing thinking about just morals. I've never really thought about my personal value system. I've always thought about where I derive 
the system of beliefs that I have that I derive the right. moral code from. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think that's equally important. Yeah. If so not, I was basically just know. sitting here learning the whole time because <laughs> I, I I think there are uh, s- systemic beliefs that are we are handed down from our parents or gener- like. And I think sometimes people don't challenge that and they, well, my parents are the ultimate authority in life. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they know best. And so I'm just like, I'm just an anti authoritarian type person. So like the second I could think critically at like eight years old, I was like, why do you think that you dummy? My mom's like, don't call me a dummy. And like, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> all right, dummy. So I've just always been a questioning person about every single thing. And so I don't understand people who just kind of accept the same things their parents accept. Like, by and large, as it, it has taken me 20 years to kind of get to the place where, by and large, I really kind of think all the things that my parents taught me, <laughs> but I had to work it out for myself. Right. And I, don't, I guess I don't understand people that don't have that same thing. That same a, journey that they yeah. go through. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, where I derive my own personal morals from, I read a lot of Stoicism literature, so, okay. um, sorry. <laughs> so, where uh, that and, came from? Uh, <laughs> there's just a natural habit whenever someone mentions stoicism. <laughs> right. So, like, you do have that fuckboy fade. <laughs> yeah, that's it's new this you time. You know who's awesome? Tucker Max. <laughs> <laughs> this guy over here. Yeah, no, no. Uh, but seriously, though, like Ryan Holiday uh, right. and Stephen Hanselman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of those two authors. Ryan Holiday, yeah. Okay. So I, anyone who's listening, I definitely suggest you check them out. Ego is the enemy, or the obstacle is the way. Really, yeah, obstacle yeah. is the way. It's a really good book. Ego uh, is the enemy is really good too. His uh, book about uh, Hulk Hogan and Gawker's supposed I to had, be really good too. I had no idea that he had a book about Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah. Mm. he it's his first non stoicism type book. Okay, and he basically spent a couple of years researching the fall of Gawker and Peter Thiel funding Hulk Hogan and and the come down on that. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Um, so just real quick, I want to kind of um, I put something up on the Facebook page because here's the thing about the Facebook page. I've just put Stone in charge and a couple other people in charge of the, of the social media. You guys blew up this week. Dude, Stone posted one thing with Tucker Carlson where this one woman said that we should change the name of the mail yeah. because mail carriers inherently have mail in them. And it got two million, three, <laughs> 3 million impressions and 1.2 million video views. And it got us like 2,000 new likes, and then I shit-posted the immigration stuff so hard yesterday <laughs> that I lost us 500. But like, the the Facebook page is basically a trash can, and so I basically posted today like, hey, if you actually want like intelligent conversation and talk and facts, like you need to listen to our podcast, because you're not going to get it here, because the market wants shit-posting. They want memes. So we give them memes. So don't, you know, like it's the Facebook page. Stone provides. We've become cancer, okay? We've become <laughs> liberty cancer, and it, and I regret it, but you just get to a certain point that is so big uh, in terms of likes and reach that you just turn into, like, the newspaper comment section no matter what you post. And, like, if you post a 14 Reasons uh, Immigration is Good by Cato, it gets a 1,000 people see it, but then you post, like, some... Karl Marx's hungry meme and it gets two million people seeing it and so <laughs> so it's just it's it really is it grieves me that people are people want trash but so we just it's not that we feed trash but there's a lot of memes on there um, but, but Harry me Harry and James Neese were talking about that in a video chat yesterday yeah and it was 
Harry had some really funny things to say about it. When I, if I ever see Harry yeah. again, I will ask him about yeah. it. You should. I think he'll be here tomorrow. I'm not going to say anything about what he said because I'm going to hold him to it. Say it for the air. Yeah. Yeah, like, so the hope, I've never had anybody, and if you are a listener who found us through the Facebook page, please tell me, but I've never had anybody say that they listen because of the Facebook page. <laughs> but I guess we just keep trying for reach in case somebody might find us because of that. But how many people that li- of the 90,000 people that like that Facebook page do you think actually know it's a podcast? One percent, maybe, if that, less than a thousand people for sure, you know. And so, it's it's just it's it's like I just don't even care about it because it doesn't really do much for the main product, which is this. Um, but uh, so it's just like maybe just stone here, have a title, <laughs> do something. <laughs> um, so if you're new to the podcast, if you actually took advice from that post and listen, like here here are the things, here are the ten principles of We Are Libertarians. The things that we value, and this is an article that I'll put in the show notes, so you can read through it. I won't go through all of it, but you know, first and foremost, when we're examining current events and talking about stuff, we ask, what is best for liberty? So I don't look at Donald Trump and go, what is best for Donald Trump? What is best for Republicans? What is best for me personally? I go, what is best for liberty? Plain and simple. And liberty is defined by um, the key concepts of libertarianism by David Bowes, Individualism, individual rights, spontaneous order, limited governments, free markets, the virtue of production, the natural harmony of interest, and peace. Um, Number two, all contributions towards moving society in this direction are valued. So I tease anarchists, but I value anarchists. I think they provide a very valuable service to the liberty movement by being its conscience and constantly pushing people towards more libertarian beliefs. Just as I value Republican libertarians who believe that you know Rand Paul and Thomas Massey uh, are are valued members of the libertarian movement, like I just don't. I'm trying to be agnostic and say that if you're trying to do something for libertarianism, then it's good. Uh, number three, the golden rule is the foundational principle of a libertarian society. Now, this gets argued a lot because it's religious, and there's a lot of a- atheists in the libertarian movement. But the reason I say this is because the golden rule teaches that. You treat others as you'd like to be treated, and it's not necessarily a selfish thing. It's that you're treating other people uh, in the way that you that you want to be treated, maybe not the way that you treat yourself, because some of you treat yourselves like trash cans. But um, it is putting people first. It's about being empathetic towards people. And so what liberty and libertarianism and the way that it structures society through government inherently is good for people. And it values the individual and their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of property and happiness. So that's why it's on there. Government exists and politics will not cease in our lifetime. So politics will always be with us. We will probably always have government. And uh, so I don't spend a lot of time talking about the distant utopian future, although we do sometimes. But uh, I use it as a standard for us to move directionally. I'm not a person who just thinks that um, this is... Uh, this is the libertarian world. There are a lot of people who do that, like Roger Paxton at Lava Flow, and I invite you to listen to them. Um, We're Libertarian serves as an entry point for the libertarian movement. We're a safe show for you to share with your friends and family. We're not going to scare them with a lot of conspiracy talk or a lot of, you know, we, we like when we talk about the borders tomorrow, yeah, I will explain open borders and why it is the libertarian option but I will also give you other frameworks. I will give you a different view. So 
people don't walk away going, oh my gosh, all libertarians believe this one thing. Um, we believe in presenting all sides of an issue to let the listener or reader make up their minds. I try really hard to tell you what everybody believes so you can understand the issue fully. Uh, number, I, I don't know why I put these in Roman numerals because I don't know what those mean. Um, <laughs> this is number seven. Uh, achieving liberty is a never-ending fight, and libertarians must invest in future generations. So we we often forget that uh, liberty is a the tree of liberty must be refreshed with the blood of patriots, and that means that every generation must struggle to learn liberty for itself and how to apply it in its time. And uh, we don't do a good job of that. Uh, every individual can make societal change. It's very easy to change the world uh, if you try hard enough. You know, someone like um, Elizabeth Warren wrote a paper. Bernie Sanders, uh, not Bernie Sanders, um, Barney Frank adopted it, made it famous. She ran for Senate, and now she's a frontrunner for a president. Ten years ago, nobody knew who she was. It's very easy in this society to become a big fish if you uh, just keep working. Uh, we embrace complexity and reject tribalism. Th some things are just not simple. So life is not simple, and things are complex. And so we can't just break it down into these binary choices. It's very stupid. Uh, and we treat modern politics with all of the irreverence modern politics deserves. I think you have to have a sense of humor, and I think that you should be a little sarcastic and a little... Uh, um, uh, you should just have fun in life. I work for a comedy show, too. I'm a joke writer by day so i i just generally think that uh most of what everybody talks about is absurd and we should just look at it that way so uh more if you want to read all the the uh the document i'll put that in the show notes uh thank you for joining us on this episode uh thank you to matt and to dakota let's end with uh thank your you. final thoughts Final thoughts for this episode, Matt? Oh, man. So we covered a lot of territory, yet at the same time, I'm not sure we really conquered anything. I know. I was sitting here thinking about it when he was going through like, the list, and I'm like... Um, you know, I think <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really... Uh, the part I come away with and I struggle with, and it's hard to, um, you know, say it and not sound, you know, elitist or something like that, right, is like, I, I just, there's the masses of people out there, right, and it, it, you know, you talk about, like, everybody's following the crowd, and, you know, Peterson's going through, like, the, you know, if he was in Nazi Germany, yeah, he could see himself and being one of the people who would, you know, help perpetrate the Nazi cause, and, and look what happened in real life, it happened, right, I mean, and, and so, the ability to get, like, truly stand, um, for values that or morals that you think are going to bring you into uh, making the decisions that I think you hope and dream to be able to do, um, I think it's hard work. And yeah, if totally there's anything agree. that uh, I take away from you know spending an ounce of time on Facebook or looking at the entirety of human history. <laughs> Most people don't put in the hard work, right? Right, and I'm not saying I am. I'm there, right? I, I, I um, but I also don't want to impose the fact that like everybody, you know, just to leap to the fact that everybody's lazy or, you know, some people lacks value. Some people or just, just don't have the goods. You know, go yeah. that that the value to go along to get along is it's, is is what um, 
you know, what drives most people, right? And I struggle with that, that and that's disheartening. And I periodically, uh, you know, you know, live my own life and withdraw versus like want to go out and do something about it. And it's right. tough. And um, so this episode didn't help me solve any of those problems. So it's screw okay. you, man. I hope I made more um, for you. <laughs> you know, the goal was not to solve a problem. You, you problem solvers. You sometimes it's about the journey. It's about oh, the discussion. I lo- I, of it. Actually, no. I do. Uh, in, if if anything, I probably enjoy the journey too much, and yeah. I don't actually accomplish anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's. Uh, uh, I'm an INTP. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, you're all in your head. All up in the head. Yeah, it's no good. Up. I need to look up mine now. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in you, Dakota. It's almost Uh, as bad as being an INFJ. Oh, just in the clouds all day. Oh, my ex was an INFJ. Yeah. Ooh, I've dated a lot of INFJs. But now I have an ISTJ. See, that's... That's hard. See, But she's awesome. I would prefer that because they're more systemic, and I need that. I need some organized... Totally systemic, structured, duty. Yep. Right? Like, (laughs) you know, she would... (laughs) Duty means poop. She would <laughs> she would kill people in a war. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, um, I would just like I, I if I were in a war, I'd sit there and oh, but what about the generational trauma? Yeah, <laughs> stupid ENFJ brain. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I I don't have many great final thoughts here for you, Chris. I've had a fun time. I'm glad to to finally uh, after I think we've been trying to arrange coming out here for. A year, a long at time. least, <laughs> at least a year. <laughs> and uh, so, thanks for having me. And the uh, last time you were supposed to be here, it was I canceled the episode because of yeah. the incident. The incident. So. Yeah, I was I was gonna be <laughs> here. Was, right, that was October, and we almost still did the show. I was like, and then that day, I was like, no, nope, no, nope. still canceled me. Yeah, I'm an ISTP. Oh, okay. Yeah, and my my wife. It's, my wife uh, is an ISFJ. Oh, that's I don't know much about either of those. Yep. Weirdos. All right, Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts? Uh let's see. My final thoughts is I'm I guess I'm still on a journey to try to figure out what where exactly I derive my 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 own morals from. I'm still trying to do a lot of reading, keep myself open to those ideas. Um I, I try to do a good job, but I, I like the journey. You know, mm-hmm. the journey is the the most fun part because you you're reading Just constantly a small learning. Town girl yeah, <laughs> living in a lonely world. I love journey too. Yep, and I gotta. I'm about to leave here and take the midnight train. <laughs> 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 no, but uh, I guess that uh, my real final thoughts are, of course, uh, check out Boss Hog Liberty on Facebook at mm. uh, Liberty underscore Boss on Twitter. Um, if you didn't say this, if you didn't, could you imagine what happens if you didn't shamelessly plug? I ha- dude, it's rubbed off on me so much. Right. I just, I just do it anyway. He, but, uh, he will, he will feed you to his Liberty Gators. <laughs> 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 Thing about Jeremiah is he rules Henry County with an iron fist, and he's got these Gators in his pool that he feeds dissidents to. My boss has found out about Boss Hog of Liberty. Really? So now every time that he calls me on the phone, he's like sixty three. He just says. Hey, is this the Boss Hog Liberty? <laughs> and he laughs and laughs. Oh, he does. Yep. Oh, boomers. Yep. <laughs> he just think he wants to come on the show. Do it really bad. I'm. I, 
every time he says, I haven't gotten my invitation yet. And I just say, Dave, I'll, uh, let my people get in contact with your people. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how when you become moderately successful and roughly 500 people listen to your show, they're like, you going to have me on? You're going to yeah. have me on? Uh, yeah. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> But then there's a point where you get so big that people just think he'll never... Like it's walls not there yet. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. Like when you're in like that lower to bottom middle range, like that. That's when people really ask to come on your show. Mm-hmm. But then if you get kind of a bigger podcast, or if you're like the day job big, people just go, "There's no way." Like, yeah, and so they just don't even. I ask. don't know because I was pretty honored to whenever you first asked me to right. come on here. I was like, whoa. As you should be. I'm going on <laughs> We Are Libertarians. There's like a bunch of people that listen to that. Right. And nothing changed in your life at all, did it? Nope, it didn't. <laughs> no, not at all. Not a bit. I have a podcast of my own since then. Right. I, I don't know how that's going. You're, no, <laughs> the review is next week. And uh, <laughs> uh, I hope you the yearly, the yearly review. Schedule your therapy session. It's going to be rough. <laughs> All right, kids. Uh, nothing for me. I just thank you for being here, and I appreciate uh, you guys listening. Love for you to get that bonus content, $5. It's all it takes once a month. That helps support We Are Libertarians. I'm going to uh, Porkfest on Thursday, and then I'm going Woo. to the National Libertarian Convention. I'm sorry. I'm going to the Podcast Movement Conference. I'm doing a lot of traveling, and so all of those dollars help go towards those trips help uh, gather content and find out what's really happening on the ground with the anarchists and then with the libertarians, and I will report back to you. Uh, and and uh, the podcast movement stuff is going to be a lot of fun because I'm going to find all kinds of cool new tactics and technology and I'll find all, all kinds of fun ways to dazzle you with this mediocre voice of mine. <laughs> so, uh, so please, become a Patreon subscriber. It really helps. Um, f- frankly, I spend a ton of time on this. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on this, and uh, it's nice to finally be paid back some of that money and pay down some of the debt that I acquired buying all of this uh, phony baloney equipment. And that's part what it, partly what it goes to. Part of it goes just to pure operations. It costs hundreds of dollars a month to run We Are Libertarians. And if I didn't have your donations at Patreon, I couldn't afford to do this anymore. And so if you would miss us if we were gone, if you get something out of this podcast, if this impacts your thinking in any way, then I invite you to please go to wearelibertarians.com and become a monthly subscriber at patreon.com. Uh, I will thank you long time. So, until then, yes, Christie's right. The Amazon wish list will grow after Philadelphia, I am sure. Uh, also, <laughs> weirdlibertarians.com. All right, thanks, guys, for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow night. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end, and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians, and any true fan of We Are Libertarians should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows. We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk, if you're interested in getting involved in podcasting. The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training, it's a podcast where I've put a lot of 
training for libertarians on how to spread the message. The cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy. So be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World. Miranda is one of the craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness, tootness, good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, The Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.